This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Gifts. We like the holidays. We like December. These things are well known about us. They must be because we keep repeating them. Every year, we here at the GM Word of the Week Satellite of Ire go to great lengths to convince you, our best beloved listener, that this is our favorite time of year. Heck, we do it so much you might almost think that really we're trying to convince ourselves. And maybe that's true, because in spite of our protests to the contrary, there are a few things that get under our skin at this most joyous time of year. No doubt you'll be familiar with them, too. It's certain you've noticed them. Maybe even you find them annoying. For instance, perhaps you're aware that the Christmas season starts somewhere around mid to late August now. Well, all right, the Christmas shopping season. And we're only exaggerating a little. Beginning in late September and early October, more and more advertisers, retailers, and even shipping companies admonish you that the holidays are coming. The reds and whites and greens of a Christmas yet to come start appearing even before the autumnal oranges and browns have a chance to fade. The holidays are just around the corner, these purveyors of preemptive present procurement proclaim, and you really shouldn't wait to decorate, mail that package, or buy that gift for someone special. Do it now! Which, of course, only leads directly into that other scourge of good holiday cheer, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. As Halloween nears, websites, newspapers, bloggers, vloggers, and random netizens start trying to guess what sales will happen on Black Friday. Who'll be selling the best TV for the least money? Which game system comes with the best Cyber Monday package? Whose ad leaked? Who leaked their own ads? Should you be planning to line up? Why aren't you lined up already? Look, these stores are open on Thanksgiving for Pete's sake. Websites offer Black Friday sales starting on the Monday before Black Friday and running to the Friday after Cyber Monday. You'd better hurry for those doorbusters. But Try not to run over each other now that we've collectively whipped you all into a cacophony of conspicuous consumer consumption. But no, these are not the things that really reach into the sub-epidermic depths. No, those are just minor annoyances, mere trivialities compared to the genuine bane of seasonal happiness and joy. That destroyer of fellowship and good feeling, the socially transmitted affliction that is the workplace Christmas party. Every year, about December or so, although some unscrupulous individuals will decide that late November makes things just so much better and easier for everyone concerned, every December someone remembers they're in charge of the entertainment committee and the one thing the entertainment committee does besides buy a cake at the start of the month to celebrate all that month's birthdays and hand out five dollar coffee gift cards whether you like coffee or not is organize the company christmas party now we've been involved in a fair few of these sorts of things and we should state up front 
that not all of them have been horrible, terrible disasters, organized by the sorts of people who are perpetually cheerful, whether there is any evidence of anything good to be cheerful about or not. People who believe themselves to be master entertainers, whose very existence is enough to lighten up a room and turn those frowns upside down, you gosh darn silly grumpus, you! Not all of them. No, sir. We've been to some really good holiday parties. We have, promise. Usually just after leaving the first kind. But the great preponderance of evidence suggests that the vast majority of such affairs are exactly as bad as they are rumored to be. As bad as if the Grinch himself organized them for the sole purpose of sucking any remaining goodwill towards all right out of the remainder of the holiday months, leaving them a bone-dry husk of dead fur needles and bitter resentment. And sometimes, sometimes they're even worse. But never fear, we don't like to complain just for the sake of complaining. Rarely do we ever point up a problem and then never offer a solution to it. You see, we're going to fix the two most common types of workplace holiday events. We're going to do it just for you, dear listener, as our gift to you. And we're doing it early enough in the month that you stand a better than even chance of saving your workplace holiday party right now. The first and potentially most egregious form of holiday party is the ever-present threat of the secret Santa gift exchange. It's simple enough. Primarily a practice connected to the Western Christmas tradition of gift-giving, but mixed with a healthy fear of office politics, social awkwardness, and the trepidation of giving unintended offense, or ultimately overstating one's interest in the recipient, Participants enter their names into a pool from which all other participants will draw said names. Provided they do not draw their own names, each person receives the name of a single other person to whom they are expected to give a gift in secret. Generally, the gift is limited in scope in some way, usually by dollar amount. Everyone is expected to spend approximately the same amount on their targets. By the way, there are lots of names for this activity, and it appears to crop up all over the world in various forms. Some places call it Chris Kringle, Ingril Bingril, Chris Kindle, and so on, largely in Europe. Latin America tends to use the much cooler-sounding Amigo Secreto, or Secret Friend. In Israel, a similar activity is referred to as, we are told, a dwarf and a giant, and occurs during the days leading up to Purim. In it, one person, designated as the dwarf, gives the giant a series of small gifts culminating in the giving of a basket of various food and drink, called Misloch Manos during Purim itself. Now, Secret Santa, apart from anything else, is great, because if there's one thing you definitely want to do in the run-up to the holidays, it's try to figure out what to get that person in that cubicle way over on the other side of the office to whom you have never spoken at any point in the last 365 days except to ask if they finished that report you needed three days ago yet. Or worse, you're assigned to get something for your immediate supervisor whom you only see when you're three days behind on a report they needed like yesterday. In either case, whatever you give will be interpreted as some sort of commentary on the entire history of your interactions with that person during the previous year. Not nice enough? 
Corner Guy and Boss are both offended and presume you're either mad at them about the report still or don't know how to move on. Too nice and you're sucking up to your boss or hinting at something suspicious to your coworker. Your safest bet? Gift cards, probably for coffee. But best of all, you've drawn neither of these people. No siree, Bob. You got the lunchroom fish microwaver, loud personal caller, too loud music player, story one-upper, or office gossip, who will now, regardless of what you get them, consider you their close personal friend for the rest of your life just because you got them anything at all. Or else they'll assume you're dropping some hint about their behavior and hate you forever. And the gift you received from Morris in accounting? You're either allergic to it, can't eat it, constitutionally opposed to it, offended by it, or clearly aware that he bought it from the 7-Eleven down the road on the way to work this morning because the receipt is still in the paper bag and he has to ask for it back for expenses. And let's hope you never get picked as the recipient of a gift from your supervisor. You'll never be quite sure if your supervisor gave you that $20 bottle of Chateau Le Soc, one of Antarctica's finest wines, because they don't like you or because they really don't know who you are or anything about you. And either one of those options is equally as bad as the other. Frankly, a coffee cart is just fine. You can probably re-gift it later in the week if you don't drink the stuff. Third cousin Wilbur, twice removed, probably maybe might drink coffee. Who knows? If you really want to drop your players into a high-stress situation, there's your ticket right there. The office holiday party. So how do we make it better? Easy. What if we told you there was a way to totally remove the politics and pressure and greatly reduce the awkwardness, random guessing, and potential embarrassment of your typical office secret Santa? It's true. All you need is a good conspiracy. Brian Helmig at Zapier.com, a website that does app and workflow automation, had a problem. Many of the company's employees work remotely from widely disparate locations. They come together for face-to-face -face meetings only rarely. And as the holidays rolled around, they realized that this presented a number of problems for the traditional Secret Santa program. So the folks at Zapier put their heads together and came up with Conspiracy Santa. The basic premise is pretty simple. A number of teams are formed equal to the number of involved employees. One different employee is left out of each team. This employee becomes the target of that team. The team members then conspire to come up with a single gift for the absent team member by pooling their collective knowledge of the individual and gradually narrowing suggestions down until everyone on the team agrees on one gift that, based on their pooled knowledge, that individual is likely to enjoy. Each team communicates via email groups set up by a coordinator. Agreed upon gifts are purchased by the group as a whole or, in the case of Zapier, by the company itself within a cost limit. It worked incredibly well with the added bonus of actually helping people to get to know their widely spread teammates. Everyone was involved in the process for each employee, so there was little room for inner office politics and all the other things that make one-on-one -on -one gift giving so awkward. 
the gifts given were far more meaningful and as a result, much more well-received and enjoyable. So successful was it that Zapier created a free web tool to help you set up your own Conspiracy Santa, and you'll find a link to the related article in this episode's description. The second holiday horror show is, without a doubt, the White Elephant Gift Exchange. And once we tell you why it has that name, you'll begin to understand why we consider White Elephant Gift Exchanges to be in the same class of events as playing diplomacy with people whose company you no longer wish to enjoy. And why practically no one does it properly. In the olden days, an official historical period, in Southeast Asia, it used to be considered the great sign of a righteous ruler to have possession of a white elephant. It meant that a kingdom was prosperous and peaceful, and this was wise and logical, especially once you consider just exactly what a white elephant really meant. First, let's get this out of the way up front. White elephants aren't actually white. They're more of a soft brown or even lightly pink with blonde or light-colored lashes and toenails. They stand out in a herd of normal elephants, but they aren't true albinos and therefore not white. They're more officially white than anything else and stand as symbols of gods or aspects of purity and symbols of power. They were often considered sacred, so sacred that monarchs would add appellations to their name to indicate their status. So not only would you be Grand High King Mucky Muck of Outer, Lower, Upper, Eastern, Simplacia, protector to the people, keeper of the law, brother to the sun, sister to the moon, father of grains, you'd also be Grand High King Mucky Muck of Outer, Lower, Upper, Eastern, Simplacia, protector to the people, keeper of the law, brother to the sun, sister to the moon, father of grains, and owner of a bloody great useless white elephant. Because the one thing you couldn't do with a white elephant was put it to any use at all. There were laws to ensure their sacredness, and one of them was that a white elephant was not allowed to perform labor of any kind. So basically, when you had one, you had a giant hole into which you would pour money and effort just keeping it fed and alive, and receive literally nothing in return except a fancy attachment to your name. They were part boon, but also mostly a curse. So if you had one, it was assumed you could afford it, hence the sign of prosperity you weren't even really allowed to give the thing away. P.T. Barnum would have done well to remember that last bit. After the success of his elephant Jumbo, who we've discussed elsewhere, the great circus entrepreneur wanted to import another special elephant and had heard about the white elephants of what were then Burma and Siam, but are now Myanmar and Thailand. After many long and on the part of Siam reluctant negotiations, he finally paid $250,000 to the king of Siam for Tong Talong, which he billed sight unseen as the sacred white elephant of Burma. On its way to America for the 1884 circus season, the elephant stopped over in London, where Barnum discovered that what he had really bought was a mostly dirty gray elephant with a few pink spots. So disappointing was the so-called white elephant that Barnum's experience with it is what popularized the phrase white elephant, which came to mean something more expensive to keep than it was worth. So you see, it's not just something you don't want. And it's not just some weird method of exchanging cheap gifts. 
it's a thing that costs you money to keep, but that has little or no actual value. But perhaps we should make a more thorough explanation of what exactly a white elephant gift exchange is nowadays. Once again, we find that the game goes under a number of regional names, which all point to the same basic style of play. And yes, it is listed as a game, because you see there are rules and ways of seeking advantage or conveying disadvantage within those rules. Some of the names include Yankee Swap and the altogether too delightful Dirty Santa. However, we have frequently heard it referred to as You Bastard whenever it is suggested by the Entertainment Committee, though that might be apocryphal. In the play of the game, each player brings a single gift, all of which are meant to be of approximately equal value. Although, in any organization, there are always two people, one of whom spent too much and one who spent not enough. Since one of them is inevitably the boss, no one complains either way and the game continues. The gifts are placed in a pile in the center of the room, where one gift always falls off the pile, striking the floor with an audible tinkling of glass. This is the gift you will end up with, regardless of your efforts to the contrary. At some point, hopefully early on in the evening while there's still time to go to a movie after, someone is designated as the first picker. They go to the pile of gifts and select one, take it back to their seat and unwrap it. Everyone in the room notes what the gift is and its approximate return to store retail value. The next person has a turn and may either steal the gift already unwrapped or try their chances with a gift not already opened in the hopes that they can find the single prestige item in the pile. This process is repeated until all gifts have been opened and claimed and you've ended up with a single broken snow globe with the words Welcome to Bonza, Australia, home of the green kangaroo sandwich printed on it because Morris in accounting has stolen the BMW and all expense paid trip to Maui from you for the third year running. As you can see, opportunities for backstabbing and animosity are rife. There's always a bottle of wine or other alcohol, usually pink, that someone desperately clings to for the majority of the event, only to see it taken away at the very last moment. Particularly common are heavily gendered gifts that end up in the hands of the wrong gender, and for some reason, a novelty hat or t-shirt with something seasonal and vaguely rude printed on it. By the end of the event, at least half the room should be pleasingly angry at the other half for about the next three months. Six months, if there was a box of chocolates involved. Happily, he said, without the faintest hint of irony, there are rules meant to modify the game into a more pleasing format. You may limit the number of times a gift can be stolen. Three is a popular number, as it can be reached quickly, allowing the one person in the room who should on no account be allowed to have a thing to have the thing permanently. Failing that, it is often useful to limit the number of times an individual can be stolen from instead, thereby ensuring that you are quickly stuck with the worst gift in the lot and can sit unmolested for the rest of the game. At this point, it has been suggested to us that we are unbelievably cynical and undeservedly harsh about the White Elephant gift exchange. To prove we are not alone in this, we refer you to a page purporting to have the official White Elephant Gift Exchange Game Rules. Link in the description. Roberta Jeeves is the author of the book 
White Elephant Gift Exchange, rules, themes, and ideas for hosting a perfect holiday gift swap. And among the many variations and suggested adjustments to the core rules, she also lists a number of alternate names for the game that have been used over the years. Some of the best include Black Santa, Cutthroat Christmas, The Grinch Game, the very British Greedy Punter, and our personal favorite Barnon, Machiavellian Christmas. Anyway, we promised we'd make even this game better for you. So here are our proposed rule adjustments to the basic game as given on the aforementioned webpage. First, anyone found to have told anyone else what their given gift is and what it looks like should be barred from this and all future holiday gift exchanges. All gifts should be anonymized. Wrap them in identical boxes with either identical or plain white paper, or place all gifts brought into identical paper bags which are thoroughly sealed to prevent peaking. Also, gifts are not unwrapped until all gifts have been selected. These two rules mean that any gifts to be stolen will have to be evaluated on the basis of sound and feel in the hand. No gift may be stolen more than three times. And once everyone has settled on a gift and has it in front of them, exchanges of unwanted gifts may be further negotiated as part trade, part cash exchanges over the phone at home. Sure, these rules may sound slightly less fun, but at least no one has to sit there with nothing to do once they've unwrapped the agreed-upon worst gift. No one has set their heart on whatever they've unwrapped only to see it stolen away. And everyone is encouraged to get approximately equivalent and well-thought-out gifts because they could end up with their own gift again in the end. In our view, the more interesting and fun discussion occurs over what a gift might be based on limited information rather than on what it actually is. And then next year, everyone can agree not to do a white elephant gift exchange again. But at least you haven't received the worst gift ever given anywhere of all time. Given by a woman whose name translates roughly to all giving or all gifted. She was said to have been given special gifts of her own by all the Greek gods. And then she was sent to earth straight into the arms of a man named Epimetheus. Epimetheus's brother tried to warn him not to accept her because she was deceitful and tricky and his brother had good reason to fear that gift. But she was also beautiful and so Epithemius didn't listen. So when he accepted her, she opened yet another gift she had been sent with, a jar. And she scattered its contents everywhere she could and according to the poet Hesiod, unleashed burdensome toil and sickness that brings death to men, diseases, and a myriad other pains, and left an earth and sea full of evils. Because she was, of course, Pandora, and she was a gift given as punishment because of the gift that Epimetheus's brother had stolen from Zeus and the other gods, who had already claimed it. The gift of fire, stolen by Prometheus. Worst white elephant exchange ever. But at least there's still hope. This has been GM Word of the Week. 
It's written and researched by The Angry GM and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gmwordoftheweek. You can find more at gmwordoftheweek.com and theangrygm.com. <laughs>